0: It has the potential to be icky, because if you serve God in this world, you are putting yourself in opposition to the prince of this world.
1: Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Hey. And Tracy.
2: Okay, I just lost my train right there. I was gonna say good morning.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: good evening. That's gonna go. need good some good editing.
3: Evening, good evening, Tracy.
1: There you go, and Amy. I already uh, said good evening. Yep. I was I was wondering I was wondering who was gonna mess it up. <laughs> Happy
3: Tuesday. It's right. a Tuesday.
1: Yep. Happy it's a Tuesday. Weird Day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, It's it's always weird for us when we record on an evening, but we, our schedules have just been all over the place and so we have uh we we need to we need to do a few uh middle of the week recordings here to get us back on track but that's all for your benefit because we want to keep make sure that we keep uh stuff coming out to you um an interesting oh point of interest that's not mm. the way to say that, but... That was a great uh, sentence. Something I know. of
3: interest. Something of interest.
1: Something of interest that, that everyone might, might find interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, going to get mercy. into it. Um, you guys probably maybe don't know, but we, this week, are in the uh, festival of, and I'm probably going to butcher it, Sukkot, which we know as the uh, Feast of Booths, which we just talked about a few weeks ago when uh, Jesus that's was...
0: the camping. That's yeah. like eight days of camping.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the Jewish community is 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 um, right now. They are celebrating that that. Uh, I don't know. Is it a holiday? Is it a season? Is it a I don't know festival. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how they view it. I. But uh, I know a lot of them take it seriously, and it's just interesting that we are in that time frame for us right now, having just talked about that. So that was kind of cool to me. Yeah, that is. Cool. Um, yeah, and uh, so so as we we know that Jesus had been celebrating that festival of booths. Now we are in that time period, and so that really to me that's kind of special because that means the time frame that we're talking about we're actually in it right now because Jesus was in that festival of booths. We just talked about him uh, being in the festival of lights, which we know of as Hanukkah. So we're not quite there yet. Um I just started getting curious about where we are in the timeline because we've been talking a lot about how it seems like Jesus is ramping up his ministry. He's getting more um bold about about what he says about himself. He's being much more open about who he is. Uh everything about what he's been doing seems like it's getting more and more urgent and more and more urgent. And so I got curious and I looked in a, a timeline chart in one of my Bibles and in the Bible, we are in basically the end of his last year. Uh, we're in the fall of his last year, before before we get into that last little bit, into um, you know, before we get into the passion time and that. And so, uh, interesting that we are studying this at the same basic time frame that these things happened. Uh, it gives me a little little perspective because knowing or at least somebody told me once upon a time that here where we are in northern colorado our climate would be very similar to the climate of israel i don't know if that's 100 percent true or not i've never been there um well amy you were just there would you would you say that it's similar or am i way off base with that
3: i i thought it was much much hotter there and much more dry
1: okay well Maybe it depends yeah. on which part of the region. Yeah. So yeah. cuz everything I've ever seen seemed much more deserty, much hotter, much drier. Uh yeah. but maybe well, part- I
0: mean camels are not natural to northern Colorado.
1: Well, no, they'd have to have a way to get over here, but um <laughs> yeah. They survive here though. We've got we've got camels here. Not running around wild, but there's, you know.
3: I have a client who milks camels. She sells camel milk for a living.
0: I have heard that camel milk is so rich and so delicious that you could practically live on it.
1: Hmm. Mm. Well, uh, one, one of you test that out and let us know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would try it. Yeah, I
1: suppose. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, now that we've got a little context of where we are in the Bible and we've just spent oh, the last several weeks in the book of John – uh, looking at um, oh gosh, what were we talking about? We were, you know, everybody's wanting to stone Jesus because he's been talking about how he's, how, you know, he's been talking about himself as the son of God and equating himself as God. And he's healed, he healed a guy from blindness. These festivals, um, and so as we're seeing that now we're getting to closer and closer to that end of his his ministry, we get into Luke ten. And it starts out with him sending out 70 uh, disciples ahead of him before he goes into towns. So, what would that be? So, 35 pairs of, of is my math right? Yeah, it, yeah. 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 35 pairs of, I'm assuming men. I guess I don't know, um, but that's my assumption of men to different cities, basically to try to go prepare them for Jesus to come in and, and talk to them. Um, sort of like a pre evangelistic, I don't know, scouting party, I guess. Um, and Jesus gives kind of the reason why he says the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And so as we, you know, as we're seeing ourselves into this, getting into this fall autumn time period, it really makes sense that he would use this kind of phraseology about harvest and such. And, you know, we we're in an area where we see, you know, the migrant workers are starting to uh, get crops up out of the ground. And and it takes a lot of people to do that. And when so when Jesus is talking about that, we 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 can kind of understand some of that picture.
3: My first job was digging potatoes. I just wanted to say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. (laughs) Yeah. That's, 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 and honestly, it's, you know, those kind of jobs are great for first jobs. I think, you know, yep, you, yep, yep. You,
3: know
1: you can, you can appreciate a, a good day's work doing yep. something like that.
3: You mostly uh, appreciated lunch. It was hard work.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Probably bent over all day. And
3: I feel like I just want to point out
0: that I, I have dug plenty of potatoes in my life and no one has ever paid me to do that. Oh, well you're doing
1: it wrong then
3: was, we were we were on a large commercial harvester, and the the machine would dig them and put them like on a conveyor belt, and then you would stand there and throw the potatoes on the other side, and the conveyor belt would continue to take the dirt back off. see what I mean mm. yes so you so you weren't you weren't bent over actually,
1: yeah. Well, I'm
0: feeling bitter because no one ever paid me. That's my only point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Someone pay Karen retroactively.
0: I need (laughs) reparations for my unpaid potato harvesting. (laughs) Gracious.
1: (laughs) With interest.
2: With interest.
1: With interest. interest. (laughs) Did you eat any of the potatoes?
3: I mean, Maybe. (laughs) 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 <laughs> uh,
1: well we're so far off track already <laughs> way to go amy
3: oh so matt
1: <laughs> yeah I
3: was, I, this is back to the text okay okay so remember like so if you're going to have an evangelistic series sometimes you you do send out like flyers or people go door to door and let other people know right. so i can kind of imagine that it was like that
1: yeah yeah you, know, you gotta have you know, people or Sending out the message Jesus is coming I you know I, I, I assume The people know his name By now you know uh, he's, he's been around for at this point We know oh, two and a half To three years um, right. You know making a name for himself He's made enough of a name for himself that the Pharisees are constantly wanting to kill him So you know that that is getting around and so he's sending he's sending out a scouting party uh, essentially to 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 go out and um you know the harvest is great but the laborers are few so that's indicating that he knows that there's a lot of people out there who are listening who have heard who maybe are going to need that little nudge to get them over the hump to to following him and and so this is his rather small group. It seems like a lot, but a rather, you know, small group considering what's got to be done. But he says some, he has some very interesting things to say to them. And the first thing here that stands out, and it probably will to you. He says, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. You know, a lot of times we get an idea that following Jesus is going to be like a guaranteed safety. Like where a life is going to be swell when we follow Jesus. And Jesus is kind of telling him right here. He's like, No, uh, not only I'm not just sending you as sheep, I'm sending you as lambs. I mean, can you think of anything more innocent and uh, vulnerable than a lamb? And especially if you're going to put them in with wolves, you know, it's a bit of a dire warning. But, you know, if you if you believe in the cause, you'd be willing to put yourself into into a danger like that. But uh, just the, the idea that he sends them out in a fashion where. Literally, they could find themselves in harm's way speaking. First of all, they're speaking up for someone that the the leadership doesn't like. He sends them out on the road as we find out, like basically with nothing, tells them don't take any money. Don't take extra sandals. Don't even stop to talk people on the road because you need to get to the town. It's very urgent. It's got to go. And I think it's probably because now, as we're seeing as it is getting closer and closer, closer to the end of this of this year because we know that the following spring then is when we're going to see the passion story it's a bit of a daunting task that he sends them for don't you think Uh, to to be sent out with nothing knowing they're going into danger what do you what do you guys think about that
2: i think it's a little bit of preparation for what's to come when you know we do get do get through the the um the crucifixion and stuff like that because then they're they're on their own You know, they have the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I think this is just, you know how you build up to something slowly? I think this is part of it now. Okay, go out. But I'm letting you know that, yes, you are in danger. So, you know, maybe it's maybe like a trial run, maybe, you Mm. know, in in a way of looking at it. It's just kind of prepping them.
1: Yeah. Isn't, isn't Isn't it kind of nuts for us to voluntarily... Join up to a cause where we know that there's inherent danger like that. But what good cause, I suppose, doesn't have some danger with it. Well, all of this to me, it implies that. Oh, go ahead, Amy.
3: Oh, well, you can finish your thought.
1: I was going to say it implies that needs their needs will be met because of all the things he talks about. Don't take anything with you. Uh, but that I was just going to mention the urgency. Don't even stop to talk to people on the road because basically you don't have time. Just get there and, 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 uh, do the job. Go ahead, Amy.
3: Well, the part that jumped out at me right away was, um, that you're, they're, they're supposed to not go from house to house mm. and they're supposed to eat what's put before them. Uh, so, you know, don't be a picky and obnoxious guest, mm. but also, um, you know eat the things that are set before you don't go from house to house uh and essentially they're supposed to find one place that shows them hospitality and stay there and do their work from there that was kind of interesting to me
1: mhm mhm well and, you know when he says don't when he says uh eat what's put before you i didn't take that so much as don't be picky i took it more as this is a job because he does say he, he says you're worthy. How does he put it? Um, yeah, the worker is worthy of his hire. Yeah, as of his hire. So so don't feel awkward about accepting these things from people. Mm. If they want to feed you, accept it because this is an occupation for you right now. Uh, mm. and, and And, you know, so I don't think this is so much. I don't think it's so much, you know clean your plate i think it's more of a interesting okay of don't be afraid of accepting what people want to give you because you're doing you're doing god's work here and you are worth being uh compensated essentially yeah,
0: yeah. i didn't even go that direction i was thinking the same thing as amy
1: hmm. well maybe you two aren't as smart as me
3: <laughs>
1: or maybe i'm way yes. off base or maybe i'm way off base but it, I, I
3: both things are true.
1: Maybe both things are true. <laughs> Probably both things are true. I'm sure it is because, all of, you know, obviously you don't want people. You don't want your 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 representatives to go and be rude to to your hosts. Uh, um, and like, Ew, I don't know. I don't I don't like that. <laughs> but they are supposed to wish peace on the houses that they go into. And it says it would be fulfilled where peaceful people live, but not for non-peaceful people. Um, So it's sort of that's sort of a little self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, You know, I mean, you 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 will find you will find people who will be hospitable and will accept the message and will accept uh, the peace that you want to bring them. He tells them to stay and work in the cities where they're accepted but essentially don't waste time if you're not well i think we may have mentioned this on the podcast before well basically if a city doesn't accept you he says you'll you 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 uh wipe the dust off your feet and move on and yeah. you kind of make a show of it though i mean you, you he has them say something like yeah we we, <laughs> the, we we wipe the dust from our feet and 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 move on um but then there's a warning and it's a very interesting warning it says the kingdom of God, you warn them the kingdom of God has come near And he says it'll be better for Sodom on judgment day than it is for these mm-hmm. He starts with Tyre and Sidon He ends up going to um, also to Sodom And you remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah When they when they ended up with their judgment I mean they got, they turned into a crater And he's saying it would have been, it'd be better for them Than it will be for these guys Do you I think-, think
0: that's a free will thing though I think that's a you it's kind of the times of ignorance God winks at but now calls all men to repentance idea mm-hmm.
1: at least mm-hmm. that's
0: how I hear this and they have had they're now having Jesus followers sent specifically to them to tell them what they need to know and if they reject it then there's then the disciples are to draw Attention to the fact that they tried and they are now not going to try anymore like this is very final and he goes on to talk about like woe to you this town woe to you that town, you know, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed entire inside and they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and action in an ashes. Mm-hmm. And that, and then he goes into what you were saying, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon of the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Like, I mean, he's like really strongly wording this. And I remember there was a time in the Old Testament, I remember reading it here on the podcast, when, when he was saying, he was talking to Judah and Israel, and he was saying, Basically, this is the Karen paraphrase, you know, shame on you, Judah, for doing this, but double shame on you, Israel, because you knew better and you did it anyway, right? So Judah was the younger of the two sort of nation states or whatever, and Judah would make mistakes and he would scold them for it. But he would absolutely shame Israel for being an older, more experienced nation that had had more years with God as its leader, and they would make the same mistakes and worse. And so, there's definitely responsibility that it gets at, that gets added on when we're supposed to know what we're doing.
1: Yeah, and when you've got Jesus right there, and He's been personally preaching, and you've got—I mean, you're only getting it secondhand from Jesus at this point. Yeah. There's there's only how, how many would that be considered two uh, degrees of separation or would it only be one, you know, but you're only getting it second hand. And if you're still rejecting it. Yeah, that's a pretty serious deal. Well, those 70, they do go out. They do everything Jesus tells them to do. And then when they start coming back, they are. Super thrilled with some results I have no doubt that they've had some successes some failures it sounds like probably more successes than failures but they come back just super jazzed because they say they have power over demons uh, now not gonna lie I think I would probably be be super jazzed about that too if I knew that I had been able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus I um, yeah, I'd be riding pretty high. But the Jesus' response for these things—he he never lets anybody get too high on the horse, you know. Uh, and uh, I don't even know if that's a real phrase. I probably just made it up. But uh, um, he says, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." So you know, he's he's kind of indicating here. He's like, "Yeah, you know what? I watched. Yeah, okay, you guys, you guys have cast out some demons, but I watched Satan fall." and you know we know from having read the story before that that uh, you know there was this war in heaven and satan his angels were cast out michael the archangel cast them out um you know jesus was there and and made it happen are you
3: talking about revelation 12
1: well i'm just talking about what he's talking what jesus is talking about here when he says he's cast, he has he saw satan fall like lightning from heaven so that's right here in uh in Luke, but I guess I could look at Revelation 12 here real quick. Oh, yeah. See, I've turned right to it. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about it again, but why don't we... Yeah, it might be interesting to just read it right now.
3: 7 through 9.
1: Yeah. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So that right there is what Jesus is referring to um, back here in Luke, where he saw that happen, knew it happened, was was part of it.
3: Well, I was just wondering what people who have faith and are Christians but don't believe in Satan, like, how do (laughs) they— justify that in light of those kind of verses and that's very much just an aside but um but that's jesus talking of course in luke 10 you know i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven and um, so i was just thinking about that because i've met christians who are like you don't believe that right like that's old school (laughs) Uh, yeah anyway that's all that was my yeah
1: no and it is an interesting thought because i don't know i'm with you i don't i don't know how they don't Unless they just see the whole thing is nothing but an um, but a, analogy,
3: like a myth,
1: yeah. Yeah, but you know we've got you've got the serpent in the garden. You've got um, Satan in the convocation in Job. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the temptation in the wilderness. You know, I th- you know we're gonna you know I I don't know how you how do you how you come to that how you come or even why you would come to that conclusion. Um because yeah, Jesus is like it, Jesus right here, I saw it happen. Mm-hmm. And and so he's I th- I think maybe in some ways he's telling these guys, yeah, you don't have to be too surprised that you have this, uh, because because I have power over this stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Um right.
1: and then um He says, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he's he's saying, you know, we've gone from, okay, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. But then he's saying nothing's going to hurt you. Now, I don't think that that means like right now you don't ever have to fear. Now, let me take that back. I shouldn't say fear, but you don't need to worry About physical harm In the service of Jesus Which isn't to say that it won't happen But he has ultimate power Over all of those things And so we know that even if we get harmed now It'll be made right someday All that stuff will be healed It'll all come to nothing
0: Well there's that one text that says You know do not fear Him who can hurt the body Mm. Kill the body Mm-hmm. Instead, fear him who can kill the body and the soul, right? right? So I think the point is, don't worry about the short-term effects of serving God in this world.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because we know it's it has the potential to be icky, because if you serve God in this world, you are putting yourself in opposition to the prince of this world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think, I think the point is not that nothing bad is going to happen to you, but that the bad stuff that may happen to you isn't the point.
1: Right, right.
2: See, and that's what I was going to go to is that, you know, you keep reading because there are some churches out there that believe that, you know, just they can handle scorpions and snakes and kind of live by this text right here. But if you go below it, in 20, it's nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's that's not saying it's gonna go great. It has it's not giving you a hundred percent that it's gonna go good for you here on earth, just like Karen's saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the way I was reading that is is. Be, th- you know, don't be so happy that you can do this, but be thrilled that God knows who you are. Your name is written in heaven. And so, you know, as I was expanding it, I'm like, okay, what do they mean by heaven? Does this also mean the entire universe now is aware of you? You know, um, if they're all paying attention to this thing, you know, the greatness comes from a a, a place where they hadn't even really considered they were happy in the moment, but there was so much more to consider about what was going on and and where greatness really lies. Um, yeah, be happy because your names are written in heaven. God knows who you are. God is watching over you. God is taking care of you. And uh, yeah, as long as your name is in that book, and I'm assuming he's talking about the book of life here, Which uh, I have some reason to believe is not a a book that you have to earn your way into, but that everybody starts out in. And uh, you can't have your name blotted from it, but uh, as long as your name is in that book, you're solid. You're good. And uh, that's what we should be happy about. That's what we should find joy in.
0: That's pretty difficult, you know, ignoring the world in front of you. Mm Mm-hmm. And just setting aside, setting it aside as, oh, it's fine.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like everything that your that your five or six, depending if you're female, senses.
1: <laughs> thanks, thanks. We got that.
0: Okay, I was, that pause was to make sure you got it. But all right. Um,
2: Thank you. We probably needed it.
0: Your five or six senses. Um, are picking up on And you know our call In Christ is to set all of that aside And buy into this reality That we, we can't see here See or hear you know It's very strange
1: Yeah it is uh, And it's
2: You're know, just knowing the mission You know the mission of, of just trying to save souls Maybe almost a little bit You know don't go out looking for it But yeah you can do it You don't need to do it all the time you know, I don't think it, if it interferes with the mission, you're going to be able to handle it, kind of thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean?
1: Yeah. If
2: the snakes and the serpents come and you're doing my doing my work, then don't worry about it. Right. Just know that your name is written in heaven. That's all that should matter to you is doing the mission.
1: Yeah, you'll be able to handle it. I think that's probably the the, the bigger the biggest part of it, and and knowing that God or that. Yeah, Jesus has the greater power, and, uh, <laughs> and and we really don't need to worry about any of that. Well, he goes on. It says that he rejoiced in the spirit. He starts. He starts thanking the Father for hiding his intentions from the wise and prudent, and that's an odd to me. It's an odd phrase to wrap your brain around. Why would Jesus be thankful that people who are considered wise and prudent don't understand what's happening? Is it almost a bit of a tongue-in-cheek phrase there? Um, because, you know, we've seen how the Pharisees and the Sadducees, time after time, just don't get it. And they just don't get it, and they just don't get it. And it seems like this, the simpler thinking people, they've picked up on it. They've understood it. There's been something about Jesus' message that has resonated with them. But but these guys who have been studying they don't get it, and um, that's interesting to me.
0: I, uh, I have always thought that that was odd, that he thanks his father for doing that. Like, acknowledging that his father did that, that's one thing. That makes sense to me, but thanking his father for doing that, I don't know. I don't I don't quite understand it. I never really have.
1: Yeah, I wonder if there's something in the translation that we're missing, because it does seem odd that he would thank him for that, because why? why wouldn't you want your message understood by those who have been studying it.
0: Well, I don't know why I didn't think to read that in one of my other versions. Let me see here. Let's see. King King James, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Um, NIV, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Oh, well, that maybe gives a clue hidden them from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So it's an instead of like the wise and learned are already wise and learned. This is, this is attainable by, by little children. This is understandable by even the simplest creatures. I wonder if that's what it is.
1: That's the way it seems to me. It's
0: not some complex esoteric thing where you have to be able to, you know, read scrolls in four different languages in order to comprehend and appreciate and become part of, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. I could appreciate that cuz I don't know that I would consider myself uh wise and prudent, at least not all the time. <laughs> but especially things like this um you know, being able to pick up something like the Bible and understand it and as we've been going through it, realizing that it you know, it takes a little effort, but it's not terribly hard to understand. Uh, and when we try to complicate it, that's when it becomes hard. That's when it becomes more difficult than it should be. When people are look, picking it up and they're looking for instructions when they're picking it up and they're thinking that they're going to get, um, something, you know, straightforward, right in their face or sound, you know, wh- they'll they'll pick out a phrase or a, or a verse and they'll they'll overanalyze it overthink it and they don't just let it wash over them that's when they're not getting it so i think i think i think that's yeah i think you're right karen i think it's 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 intended to be simple it's supposed to be simple and jesus is basically thanking god for making it simple
0: yeah it basically uh, includes includes the whole audience
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Which isn't to say that somebody who studies a lot can't get it. But, you know, if you've if you've overanalyzed it, you're probably going to have a harder time accepting the simplicity of the gospel, because the gospel really is very, very simple. And we we complicate it all the time by trying to put things on top of it. He says no one knows who the son is except the father and nobody knows who the father is except for the son. And he says to those or those to whom the son reveals the father. Basically, you got to know Jesus. And then if you know Jesus, you know, the father, which is not the first time we've heard this. It's not the first time we've we've uh, come across this kind of an idea. You know, there was there's a time when the people are like, show us the father. And Jesus goes, have I been with you this long? And you still don't <laughs> know, you know, but. Um, and i can imagine the the exasperation in his voice when he says that i mean how could how can you how can you have spent this long with me and not see the father
3: so i do though think that that is one of the most astounding thoughts in the bible because you know in our small way of thinking we separate god and jesus to the extent that we actually come up with weird theological ideas like well god was angry and jesus you know jumped in between to rescue us from an angry god you know that kind of thing but if you read the bible carefully what you find is jesus says this kind of thing over and over again and paul says you know god was in christ reconciling the world to himself so you know what that really means is jesus really is god like he is the complete revelation of what god behaves like what he thinks like what he says the sorts of things that he does and so we there's not a chance that we can understand the mystery of the godhead but the thing we're meant to understand i think is that uh god is kind and good and he heals people so when he's around there's life and goodness and am i making any sense Mm,
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely well you are to me but i have a simple mind (laughs) <laughs> right on. we're lacking no, all those senses <laughs> we don't have that sixth <laughs> one tracy we're we're kind of but we do have our nothing box <laughs> <laughs> what <does that> mean? <laughs> the nothing I box. i still want one of those men, men can crawl into a nothing box and we can literally think about nothing, nothing. women women can't seem to do that <laughs> men <laughs> that are very Men are very single-minded, and we can we can literally sit and just stare and have not a single thought go through our heads. <laughs> and I don't I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I do know that Karen is uh, stop oh, now because yeah. Karen's smiling. Stop.
0: <laughs> Karen is jealous. Karen has been jealous of Matt's nothing box for a long time. <laughs> I just I just want one. I mean, like you've seen the meme that says like a woman's mind is like a computer. There's over there's 2567 tabs open, um, most of them have frozen, and no one knows where the music is coming from. Yeah, it's like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, but that's you know that's the uh, that is that that's the simplicity of all this stuff. But you got to know Jesus to know the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. By extension, you know the Holy Spirit. You understand that God. The Trinity is kind, is gentle, wants to save, wants to heal, is not looking for reasons to judge, is not looking for reasons to squash you, because that's not the picture that we ever get of Jesus. We never once get the picture of Jesus that he's looking for judgment. In fact, I mean, there's been times I did not come here to judge the world, you know, and that's 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 what Jesus has said over and over and over again. And then he sells something to the gospel or he says something to the disciples that I think is pretty cool. He says he says, "The prophets and kings of old wished they could see what you have seen. They all longed to be able to look in the face of God. They all longed to be able to talk to God and see him revealed. And Jesus's disciples have seen that
3: that is so cool. i I love that part too you know, that we, they've desired to see these things that you're looking at. But what I was going to say was actually, I I need to look into that a little bit more carefully about the Jesus didn't come to judge. Because what I remember is he says, I didn't come to condemn, but then doesn't he Hmm. keep saying all judgment is given to me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, he is, by his act, by by him coming and living among us and giving himself as a sacrifice, he then gains the right, I think, to be the judge of all the world. Mm. Um, but he is, but he keeps saying, but I didn't come to, come to condemn, which is meant to give us comfort, I think. Like, he keeps saying, I came to save you, I came to save you,
1: so mm-hmm. don't freak
3: out, because I'm here to judge the whole world. <laughs> so, I don't know.
1: Like that. yeah yeah well and I I've kind of wondered if that didn't so much mean almost that Jesus's actions are everything that that gets judged by you know when we we've seen how Jesus has acted everything else gets judged according to or or, or it gets compared to Jesus's life and if it didn't measure up to Jesus's life, Obviously, it's not as good, um, but we have pictures of Jesus in the uh, you know further on. You know, we get in Revelation and stuff where he is absolutely sitting there as as judge. So, so yeah. Well, this next part is probably one of the most famous parables that Jesus has ever that Jesus ever ever told. I'm certain that everybody's heard the phrase good Samaritan. But I think usually it's taken completely out of context because we usually think of a good Samaritan as just some guy who does a good deed. And anybody who does a good deed is is called a good Samaritan. But the story goes so much deeper than that, so much further than that. But before he gets into the parable, this lawyer comes to Jesus. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. So here's a guy who's been studying, who's been learning, and he's overthinking everything, right? Because what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, well, what does the law say? And he and the man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a bit of a paraphrase from me. Essentially, it's the it's the summarization of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, if you will, and Jesus tells him, do this and you will live. And it's a super simple answer. And I'm sure it's probably not the answer that this guy, this lawyer was looking for, uh, because he says he wants to justify himself. He says, who is my neighbor? I've always wanted to go, dude, is that really that hard for you to figure out who your neighbor is? Who, who are you supposed to be decent to? Um, is that that hard to, to consider? Uh, but I apparently. Think in
0: that era and think I mean I think in our era, it's difficult for one set of reasons. And I think in that era, it was definitely difficult for a completely different set of reasons. like this was a nation who genuinely felt that they were God's chosen people
2: and isolated and they, themselves
0: because they were they were yeah. God's chosen people. and they I mean, this the problem was that they had, they had gotten sidetracked from what they were supposed to do with the fact that they were God's chosen people, but they were God's chosen people. And what they, they used it to become confused as to who their neighbor was instead of, you
2: know, I, I look at this as always as kind of being just a, a representation of Israel itself. This person saying, okay, so what do I do to inherit this? What do I do to, to earn this? And it's like, you've missed the point, right? You've missed it again. Yes. You can quote, you can quote the scriptures, you know, them back and forth, you know what you're supposed to do, but yet it's more knowledge and not heart-based. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You haven't taken that part. So no, you, you don't get it. Yeah.
0: Is that you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is them that testify of me. Like you're, you're, you're spending too much time on the process of salvation and not enough time on the savior.
1: Right. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the answer really is simple. The answer that the guy gives and Jesus's response to him, that is a complete, that really is a complete lesson on what it takes to get eternal life. Because the first part is love God. And does, do you, do you earn it? No, you don't earn it, but you know, you would you attain it through through your love with God, through your relationship with Him, and then your love for man beyond that. You know, I mean, if you're doing those things, you've got it figured out. You don't have to keep questioning it. You but know, then I don't even know if you attain it though, because it's a gift. Because nothing you can do yeah. can get it for you. No, you're right. You're right, and I know it's it's it's
2: just in a mindset it's hard to to think outside of that and realize that you know what nothing i can do i just need to love and keep my eyes focused on god
1: mm-hmm. and that's really my point is if yeah. if 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 you're doing that if you are loving god and you're loving your neighbor you got to figure it out even if you can't articulate it in 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 your mind and 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 speak words that make sense about it. You've obviously got it figured out because you just have a relationship with God and that's all it takes. But this guy wants to complicate it. Who is my neighbor? Because like you guys were saying, Israel has gotten this idea that they're at the top of the heap and everybody else is below them. And we don't have to, we don't have to be nice to anybody else because we're, we're, we're up here. So who's my neighbor?
0: Do you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about, um, well, I don't remember what the, the part of the podcast was, but I had gone and dug a little bit of sort of historical digging, and I found all these different examples of how the Jews dealt with other Jews differently than they did the Gentiles. Mm. And, you know, for example, the the commandment that said, well, a commandment, that makes it sound like it's part of the Big Ten. That's not what I mean. Like the societal rule that said, you know, if your ox gores another ox and it has never done this before right it, it had these different scenarios and if you if your animal harms another animal or if it harms another person and has no history of doing this then you do this if it does have a history of doing it then you do that and here's how you make it right and you do this to your neighbor right and even in the ancient um you know jewish traditions Uh, One of the things that I found when I was poking around in historical writings was that the Romans who at the, the, you know, at Jesus time in history were over the Jews, societally speaking, they would point these things out to the Jews and, and sort of like, well, why do you do it this way? This isn't fair. This is, you know, in a modern word, hypocritical, but it's a, it's a double standard, so to speak. And so they just, they did these things because they had this misguided sense of who their neighbor was. Surely, fairness only exists between us and
1: ours. Yeah, they felt justified. They felt even moral in putting down other people who weren't Jews. And the name that comes up often is the Samaritans, which we've studied <laughs> before and known. They actually lived very close to 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 uh, Jerusalem. Uh, they were basically cousins to the Israelites. They had... They were an offshoot that had uh, intermingled with other people around. They still worshipped the same God, mm-hmm. um, and they had some discrepancy about where they were supposed to worship. That we, you know, we learned some of that from the woman at the well. Um, and so there was this feud, this Hatfields and McCoys feud going on between them. And uh, the story here brings that to light. Because when the guy asks, Who's my neighbor? That's when Jesus goes into this story, where he tells a story about a guy who is walking down the road and he gets mugged. Uh, essentially. He gets mugged, he gets left for dead. Now, I thought this was interesting. He gets mugged as he's leaving Jerusalem. Where is this guy supposed to be safe? He's supposed to be safe in Jerusalem, but as he's leaving Jerusalem. And we don't know where on the road he is. He gets mugged. Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting that the place where he's supposed to be safe seems to be the place of danger, sort of.
0: There's uh, Samaritans lurking everywhere.
1: <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. Uh we don't know who attacks him. We just know <laughs> that somebody, you know, they probably come up, they club him in the head, they leave him on the on the side of the road bleeding and and beat up and and they've taken everything he's got. And as he's laying there, a priest comes by and sees him, and goes over to the other side of the road and keeps walking. Can't be bothered. Just gonna keep going. If I pretend I don't see him, he's not there.
0: That's very three years old.
1: It is. It is. But we know it happens. I don't want to get involved. Uh, I, I, this is, you know, if I if I if I help this person out. Now, I've never been in this situation. I've never been in a situation where I've seen somebody bleeding on the side of the road and I didn't ha- and I didn't stop to help them. Uh, because, I mean, I've never been in that situation to t- in, in the first place. I know that I have been in situations where I've seen people who may have been in need and I chose not to see them. I, I'm guilty of that. Um, so this priest, but this priest sees him. Who's supposed to be the pinnacle of all of this religiosity? It's supposed, it should be the priests, right?
0: Representative he, of God on earth.
1: Mm-hmm. He sees him, ignores him, keeps walking. Uh, a Levite. A Levite comes by. Same thing. I mean, if you weren't a priest, you know, we had the priests, we had the Levites. They were like at that top of the religious heap. They were the they were responsible for all of that churchy stuff, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and neither one of them stops to help this man, who very well may be dying. But then a Samaritan stops, and I can just imagine the the people's reaction when Jesus says that this, Ameri- this, this Samaritan comes by. And the idea that it's a Samaritan who stops, bandages the wounds, treats him—he says with oil and wine. I don't know what oil and wine is going to do to a wound. Maybe, maybe our doctor in the in the uh, in the crowd can can don't know post. nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> Treat, treating his wounds with oil and wine seems unhygienic to me, but what do I know? I think I'm getting. I'm overthinking it, right? <laughs> Wine, maybe for the pain. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't it's, know.
0: That's the wrong application, Tracy. You put it directly on the wound.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming there's probably some sort of antiseptic things going on here. Yes. Um, maybe yes. really
2: maybe both. Maybe both. Yeah.
1: yeah, I don't know. But he puts the man on his own donkey. Take him. Takes him to an inn. Pays for him to stay there. Pays the innkeeper to take care of him. He says until I come back. So not not just he doesn't just dump him off, but he he's I mean, think about I, I mean, who knows how long this guy would have been gone? You know, he's obviously on his way. he's got a task he's got to perform, but he stops, takes the time to help this man, and gives not just of his time but also of his money to to make sure that this man is is taken care of. And I can imagine the crowd going, You know, if they've known anything about Jesus and now he's talking about the Samaritan being in the position, really being the better, the better man than the religious ones. And when he says, which of these was a neighbor? And the lawyer has to, I mean, how else could he answer? He has says the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. So. He's you know, he he he's throwing that that deep-seated, long-held belief of this superiority, throwing it right out the window. If we're supposed to love our fellow man, that means that okay, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have to be able to flip this too, because you should be loving your Samaritan brother too. But here, the Samaritan has been the one who's been. The more loving he's been, the one who has cared. He's been the one who has, who has been um, living out that second part of the answer. And so, yeah, in in a time where the Samaritans were practically treated as subhuman, and uh, Jesus is turning that right on its ear. And so that's what you know. That's why I say that when we call somebody a good Samaritan, a lot of times we're taking it out of context because it's not just doing a good deed. This is someone you wouldn't expect. Doing something is doing the good deed.
3: I know Jesus's point is, you know, that the someone unexpected is the one who does the kindness. But I also think, look at how meticulous this guy is, and I, I kind of think that's an important part of the story too, because he's telling us this man didn't just, in the moment, take care of him. He he hauls him to the next town. He pays his, you know, pays. For the hospital to take care of him. He leaves money for, you know, food and whatever the man needs. And I just think, well, he, he did like a, a good job of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of important that when we see someone in need, we don't just, you know, throw a little cash at it. Yeah. Good luck out there, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, just, just that thought.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, how many times have I said here, I don't, I'm reluctant to hand a dollar out the window, you know, mm-hmm the guy on the side of the road. I don't know. It's a part of my life. I always feel like I have to, I need to be rethinking. Um, I, I need to examine it, examine my reasoning behind it. I don't, I don't know if I'm in the right. I don't know if I'm in the wrong. Uh, and uh, I suppose the more simple thing was just, would be just to show love. huh? Well, uh, but
3: mm. I guess also though, not just the guy out the window, but like there's lots of times when we're asked to take care of a situation and it might be much more. It might be very different from that. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. But well, but yeah, because
3: to do it with care and thought and uh, preparation is what I guess I was saying.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I think that is a is a very important point too, because this isn't just a. Well, I suppose it would be spur of the moment, but it It's not. <sighs> this is a man who is clearly in need. There is no question about this guy's state mm-hmm. lying on the road bleeding. Uh, there's no question about what's happened. We can question why somebody might be on the road with a sign. Uh, they might be legitimate, they might not be. But when we you know when we have no question about somebody's need, uh, it's detrimental, I think, if we don't reach out to help them. And do a good job of it and stop being afraid about getting involved because yeah, this is one of those situations where this wasn't going to be taken care of in two minutes. And yeah, he was probably late to wherever he was going and, and he was going to have to think about it beyond, uh, just the immediate moment. But when, when real need is there, you know, somebody, somebody needs to help. And yeah, Jesus is, is pointing out here that, you know, there's people, there's people here there's people around us that you you view as lesser and in this case they would be the superior. And so that's that's going that's throwing a huge cultural uh monkey wrench at these guys thinking thinking about this. And uh, yes, even they are your neighbor. It's so easy, you know, it's it's we don't even hardly we we understand what he's talking about. But I think we fall into the same traps, too, because it's it's very easy for us to take care of our loved ones, the people that we that think like us, look like us, act like us. We don't have a problem helping those people. It's when they're a little different that that sometimes it can become an issue. So that's what the real contextual idea of a good Samaritan ought to be not just doing good deeds, but doing good, even when somebody doesn't expect it and when no one would expect it from you. The last little part of the chapter here, it's another part of the Bible where I have a little bit of trouble, not trouble. I don't know. I struggle with this a little bit, because I understand the context, I understand what Jesus is saying in this. Yet I see a side of it that I really wish Jesus would would um, would address here. Jesus is is going along and he stops in a village. It's the the, the scripture says and he stops in a with into a house of a, a woman named Martha. She welcomes him in, and um, while he is there with his disciples. Martha's sister, Mary, comes and she is uh, literally sitting at Jesus's feet and listening to him speak. And while he is doing this and while she's doing this, uh, while Jesus is speaking, while the disciples are there, Martha is in the background, busy, 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 uh, just working, working, preparing, serving. And she's getting a little irritated with her sister for not helping out. Until she finally complains to Jesus, Jesus, tell her to help me. And Jesus says, no, we're going to let this go because he says, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I, I get what he's saying here. Martha is so distracted that she's missing the moment. I have. I've been at friends' houses, and you probably have too. If you go to some uh, a friend's house, if they're having a party, a gathering, or whatever, and the host is busy, they're trying to make sure everything is going well, and they don't have a lot of time to interact with their guests, so... You know, I, I I I get it. The guests are there; they're having a good time, and so here specifically, Mary is able to literally sit at the feet of Jesus and just hear him, just just be with him. And Jesus is saying, "This is the good thing here." Here's where I here's the part where someday I want to ask Jesus about this, and I've actually written a blog about this that's going to show up in our church's newsletter. Here, I don't know whenever whenever it gets published, but um, I want to ask, I want to say something to Jesus. I want to say, Jesus, Martha is tired. If Martha's not preparing, nobody's eating lunch. If you guys are staying the night and Martha's not preparing your bed, you're sleeping on the floor. So, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say, Jesus, why didn't you have your disciples help Martha? Because you never hear, we don't hear about any one of them jumping up to help. And it's, it's just Martha is working and working and working while other people are getting to enjoy it.
3: So I take comfort in the fact that over in John chapter 11, Jesus says something to Martha that is probably one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. It is to Martha that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Um, so I think his relationship with Martha is excellent. They are close. Um, so I don't think you have anything to worry about. I think that in that moment, that day, Martha was distracted and not spending time with Jesus. But I think in general, he and Martha and Mary and Lazarus were all very close. So mm-hmm. I guess in, that, in the verse that we're talking about, it gets emphasized a lot. And, and Jesus does want us to make the one needful thing the most important part of our entire life. And on this particular day, I think Martha got mixed up. But Mm -hmm. I think in general, based on John chapter 11, they're tight. I don't think it's a, I don't think he prefers Mary. I think he loves them both.
1: Yeah, no, I do too. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a preference thing. Um, I just, I've just, there's a, there's just been a part of me that, that has kind of gone, yeah. no, I see somebody you. has to do the preparation, you know, yeah, somebody's got to do it. I look at it too, though, is looking at
2: the woman in the well, when it starts out as he was hungry, everybody was hungry. The people closest to him, the disciples were hungry and he sends them out to get food. Mm-hmm. So just like to, to what you're saying is somebody has to be there to get the food, to prepare the food, to take care of the, let's just call it what it is. Sometimes grunt work.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so when they get back, he's already talked to the woman at the well and they're like, here, eat, you know, you're, you're hungry. And he, what does he say? You know what, guys, I have meat that you don't even know about. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's the same purpose in, in, you know, what he's saying here right now is that, you know what, I know you're busy doing those things. I know you're prepping the meals. I know you're getting a place for us to stay, but right now, I'm about my father's business, and so is she. That's what she's looking at, just to what Amy was saying. At this moment, she -hmm. was about the business, too.
1: Yeah.
2: I know it has to be done. I sent you to do it. You're the closest to me right now. But you know what? At this point, you missed it because I'm doing my father's work. Mm -hmm. She's seeing the work right now. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing because you know he right. didn't, he wasn't really like chastising the disciples either. He just says, you know what, you don't know, you know, uh, the meat that I have right now or the food that I have. Mm-hmm. It's something totally different right now.
1: Yeah, that, I I, ha- I have no problem at all with Jesus saying that it's it's the it's better that Mary is sitting here right now. I have I don't have a problem with that. It's just. And I, I don't have a problem with the story. I don't want it to sound like I have a problem with the story. No, I no. just I, I i I just know that there are people who have to be in the background working so that the other people can be sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I kind of wonder if my suspicion is that Jesus didn't want to muddle the the message of the moment because, I mean, like Tracy sort of alluded to, Did Jesus need a meal? Did he need a comfortable bed? Did he, you know, all those creature comforts? He probably would have said, no, that stuff's not necessary.
0: This from the guy who can sleep in the back of a boat during a storm.
1: Well, yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: I think we may be overcomplicating this. I think that Jesus was there. He understood the priorities of the moment. If food and drink and sort of social body provision had been important, I think he would have not given Martha a hard time. I think the fact that he called her to something better. What did he say Mary has chosen the... What did he say Mary has chosen the better?
1: The good part. That good part. part.
0: Which will not be taken away from her. And... I, th- I think we can simply trust his perspective because he was in the room and he called out what was the most important and Martha should have been able to see it as well. And, and
2: I think too, that if you go maybe a step farther, even, you know, the food, anything like that, you know, and the message that was given, if the message was that important, then, then Jesus could have easily just said, you know what, everybody gather around me. It sounds trivial, but I'll take care of, I'll take care of dinner just like I did with the fishes and the loaves, you know. But sometimes I think we get caught up just in the humanistic part, and we need to, we feel we need to take care of everything that was in the back, and that there are workers, there are people that you know that's their they feel that that's their role, and it's I think it comes down to priorities. Maybe
1: I'm not saying yeah. that
2: it's right or wrong. I don't think there's a right and a wrong here.
1: No, no, yeah, right. I, because yeah, Jesus never said to Martha, you know, knock it off. I, I, I think there's multiple lessons to be taken from it, but Jesus was talking about the moment, like Amy said.
3: So, what about this though? Maybe we are overthinking this because Jesus didn't call Martha out for cooking and doing all the work. Like, he never, he's not stopping her from doing her job. He only calls her out when she comes around and says, "Lord, make my sister get off her lazy butt and come help me." <laughs> like that's when and so Jesus turns it around on her. But it's not like Jesus doesn't initiate criticism towards Martha. Right. It's when it's when Martha is frustrated with Mary that Jesus mm-hmm. says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, you're losing your perspective."
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, you know, maybe that is part of the other, uh, another part of the message to take away from it is that the workers just need to slow their roll a little bit when they think other people are, are slacking because, yeah. because if we have been called to be a worker, it is so that those people can have that time to sit, uh, and, and listen, um, I suspect, I suspect Martha would have also liked to have been able to sit and listen to Jesus. because, like you said, they were tight. They were close. He probably wanted to hear what he had to say, or she probably wanted to hear what he had to say too. Um, And she was just a little frustrated because she wasn't able to right then. Um, But clearly she would get her, she would get her um, opportunities. As we'll see when we get into that story of Lazarus, too. Yeah, we'll see that they obviously have a relationship there. So it's an interesting story. Um, more than one thing to take from it. See, I think Jesus just didn't want to mud- muddy the waters there. I Who knows? Someday, if I do get to ask Jesus, he might look me right in the face and pat me on the head and say, You're so simple. Yeah. <laughs> And then he'll give me a perfectly good explanation, and I will be totally satisfied with it. And and go. Oh, I see. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I really think
0: that so many of these situations that we read over and we think over and we try to figure out what we're supposed to learn. I think that if we could have actually seen them play out, we—I mean, like our questions would just go away.
1: Yeah. So I
0: hope that there's a blockbuster in heaven. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are younger than 40, a blockbuster is a store where,
2: okay. Is a place where old people would gather to get in <laughs> and to <laughs> enjoy themselves. And they would have a wide variety of movies from all different genres they could, they could be entertained with.
0: So I hope that in heaven there's a blockbuster and <laughs> we can all gather as a group and we can go and check out Luke 10. <laughs>
2: There you go, <laughs> and you'll find that in the aisle over by the
1: Twizzlers. <laughs> that Martha. I'm not sure there's going to be you. Twizzlers
0: in heaven, but okay.
1: What? I'm not going. No.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, he'll probably have something better than Twizzlers, I am sure. So, all right. So, well, since I muddied the waters of that last little uh, part of the question, um, that's the end of the chapter for us. I want to say to our listeners, if you have insight on that story, maybe you felt the same way I have. Maybe maybe uh, you have a real clear picture of it and, and would like to educate me on it. Well, guess what? You can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org and you can set me straight. I would, love, I would love to hear any interaction you have on anything that we've talked about here, any other parts of the Bible, things we haven't talked about, questions, comments, whatever. Send us an email. Uh, it would be very, very cool. So next week we will be looking at, uh, it's going to be largely Luke chapters 12 and 13. And we're going to be bouncing around a bit in those two chapters because we've already talked about a lot of both of those chapters. But uh, So we'll be looking at Luke chapters 12 and 13. Um, and so, remember, you can reach out to us at ATTB podcast at theadventure.org. Uh, be sure to subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and family. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.